You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we're grateful to be in your house to worship this evening. We ask now, God, that the preaching of your word would be your word for the sake and glory of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm grateful to be invited to this Lenten preaching series, uh, as I do consider it a great honor and privilege to be here with you all and to share God's word with you today. There's not a week that goes by that I don't hear or meet or see someone from the Advent that tells me, I pray for you every week, and we pray for you every week, and we pray for Holy Cross every week, and for that I, I can't tell you how grateful we are for all of your prayers, and so thank you for that ministry partnership that we continue to share together. That said, I'm here today to dive into the scriptures with you and to read God's word together and let the Lord show us what it is that he wants us to learn today. As we find ourselves coming near the end of our Lenten season, I don't know about you, but I find myself tiring of those disciplines in which I took on when I started Lent. I start to think, how much longer do I have to give up this thing or add this thing? And then I long for that Easter day when we begin to feel the satisfaction of Jesus Christ risen. And I long for the satisfaction that only comes through Christ, that thirsting of the risen Lord. I want to take us to a familiar scene today where there's that thirsting that we see. John chapter 4, there's a woman at the well in Samaria. And Jesus enters into her scene And it's one of beauty, but it's also one of awkwardness in John chapter 4. I want to read bits and pieces as we go through this together this uh, afternoon. John chapter 4, starting in verse 3, it says, When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. If you know anything about Jews and you know anything about Samaria, they didn't exactly go hand in hand together. The Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. They didn't go through Samaria if they could avoid it. They would actually go the long way around if they had to go somewhere. But Jesus' intentional ministry here is, John writes, he had to go to Samaria. Why did he have to go? What was the important thing that he had to do? It was, yes, it was more the direct route, but Jesus wasn't in a hurry. He was actually being very intentional about what he was doing. When I was in college, a friend of mine and I had decided that we were going to go down to the beach for a spring break, or a long weekend, I should say. And we had left on a Thursday. Don't tell anybody, we skipped class on Friday. But on Thursday, we left, and we were driving down to the beach after class, and I was eager to get there, and and we were talking, and it's about a five-hour drive here from Birmingham, if you know, if if you're moving pretty quickly down to Destin. And we were driving, and as we... We come up on this uh, hunger inside of us. I said, why don't we just stop and grab something quick and keep going to the beach? And for some reason, my friend said, well, I really want Cracker Barrel on the way to the beach. And I thought, why in the world would you want that? Um, Why do we need to stop at Cracker Barrel when we're trying to get to the beach? And he said, I don't know, something about the biscuits and gravy are just getting to me right now. So we got to stop. And so this argument ensued between us, and he was driving, and I lost the argument, and we pulled into the very next Cracker Barrel. 
And it was late in the, in the afternoon, in the evening. It was about 8 o'clock, which was not the normal dinner hour. And so, as you might expect, in this rural outback, or rural uh, Cracker Barrel, we pull in, and there's not really anybody there. The hostess, however, must have had a sense of humor, because when two, guy, two college guys came in and asked for a table of two, she sat us literally beside the only two other gentlemen in the restaurant at the time, as though we were a party of four for some reason. Very awkward, sitting right beside them. And it was very clear from overhearing their conversation that they were rough around the edges, to say the least. They were dressed in camo. They, all, they both had a little tobacco in their mouth. And they were speaking what I, and having grown up in Alabama, I know this dialect very well, they were speaking what I would call redneck. I could understand most of it. I knew what they were talking about. But they were certainly not there to engage in conversation with us. But for some reason, my friend said, we have to go to Cracker Barrel. That was Jesus. I have to go to Samaria. I've got to be in Samaria. I know what I'm doing here. I know what my intention is. And as he goes into Samaria, he sits down at this well where he knew that a young woman would come up and be drawing water. It says in verse 5 of chapter 4, so he came to the town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of the ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. And when the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And the Samaritan wo woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. Or... How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans or do not use dishes Samaritans have used. In verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God that, that if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give, they will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't go thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Again, women and Samaritans and Jews would not have mixed. You see that in the text here. Jesus begins to speak to this Samaritan woman, and she says, Why in the world would you be speaking to me? You're a Jew, and you're a man, and you shouldn't be acknowledging me. Why would you do this? And, and Jesus redirects her thoughts, and he tells her very quickly, If you knew what I was asking you, you would ask me for something even greater. You'd ask me for living water. Now, I don't know if you've ever had conversations with people that it just, things that you said kind of flew over their heads. That was this lady. Living water, and in her mind, it meant, I don't have to come back to this well anymore. If you can give me water that will quench my thirst forever, that I don't ever have to come back, and I don't have to carry these large pails with me everywhere I go, I want some of that. Jew or not, show me what, where to get that. Show me how to get this living water. And the power of God is residing in this conversation. 
All she wants is living water, and all Jesus wants for her is to experience freedom. Experience living water, not just a pail that would never run empty, but freedom that would come only through him. He's saying, if you knew who I was, you would experience ultimate satisfaction. You would know that you could ask me for living water, and things would be different because it would be a water that would quench. We sat in that Cracker Barrel that evening at 8 o'clock with these two gentlemen, and my friend gives me this awkward look as though I'm about to engage in conversation, and I give him an awkward look and saying, no, just eat your biscuits and let's move on. But he didn't do that. He misread that look, apparently, and he looked at the guys and he said, hey, what are you guys doing here? And they began to talk to him, and they tell us that they were coming from a They'd just been hunting, and, and they were doing some things. And, and my friend, in, in good evangelism explosion fashion, if you've ever heard of that uh, tactic, he says, have you ever thought about spiritual things and what happens when you die? And I'm thinking, well, wow, I mean, just dive right in here. We're just going for it, huh? And these men, who are re very rough around the edges, begin to talk to us. God begins to orchestrate a conversation they began to answer that question and they began to engage with us in, in this idea of living water. Some of the things we said flew right over their head. Other things we said hit them right in the heart. Jesus is talking to this woman and some of the things he's saying is hitting her. Some of the things flying over her head. And so he digs a little bit deeper. He goes on in verse 16 and he says, let's get to the bottom of this. Let's Let's give not only this living water to you, but to your family also. He says, go and call your husband and come back. She says, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the man you're now with is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true, she says. I can see that you're a prophet. So first of all, Jesus comes and he offers living water, and there's something special about this living water. And now he gets to the very heart of the matter in this woman. She has had five husbands. The man that she's with now is not her husband. I think it's safe to say she would be the, uh, the biblical version of Elizabeth Taylor, if you will. Multiple thing, multiple spouses, none of them working, and now the one she's with, not working out, or maybe working out, but inevitably not going to work out and he says yes you're right he calls on her past you think that she's proud of some of these things I don't think so I think she was probably shameful in some of those I think she realized her past and had kept attempting to correct that past with someone different in, his, in her life filling a void that she had not knowing how to receive living water but kept filling it with men in her life instead and now he gets to the very root of the issue. He says, you've got a God-shaped hole inside of you. And you keep trying to fill it with things that it's not going to be filled by. Living water is going to fill it, not the things that you're filling it with. He knows her public past. He knows her secret present. The woman, again, is not proud of these things. But she begins to engage with conversation with Jesus. I've been preaching at Holy Cross on a series called Chain Breaking over the Lenten season. Two of the chains that we've been addressing are seen here in this particular situation. The chain of shame and the chain of past. You see, when we allow those chains to bind us, 
then they don't allow us to go further in relationship with the Lord. They bind us and they pull us backwards and they hold us down instead of allowing us to move into freedom, into freedom that comes only through Christ. This scene, these chains that this woman has around her, she's a mess, to say the least. She sits before him totally just broken. I need more than the water I'm getting. How do I get it? I'm not finding it in the things in my life. She's broken. I wonder how many of you might sit here today and you got a mess. You see, we all have it. Some are greater than others. But we all have these messes in our life that come up. And I wonder if Jesus were sitting right here beside you and he walked right into your mess and said, Hey, I want to free you. How many of us would be like the woman and try to distract him? Try to get him away from the mess. Try to get him away from the things that might be hard. The things that truly he needs to heal. But we're not willing to go there. You see, because what she does next is she gives him what I like to call a theological softball. She tries to redirect him. You've figured out my past. You've figured out the thing I need in the present. And so Jesus answered this question for me. Where do we worship? The Jews say we worship over here. The others say we worship over here, over here on this mountain. What do you say? And what does he say? I tell you the truth. True worshipers who worship in spirit worship the Father. I'm going to address your heart. I'm going to address the thing that you need. Don't try to throw me off with these things because I can see that you need to experience what it means to truly worship. Because when you truly begin to worship, when you put aside the chains that are holding you, that are binding you down, then you begin to experience freedom. Freedom. That freedom bell that was rang on the cross over 2,000 years ago. That freedom bell that, she, that he is offering this woman today is saying, listen, worship comes in spirit and in truth by knowing who I am. She would even say, the Messiah they've spoken about, is coming and he looks at her and says, I am he. I'm sitting right in front of you. And I've got the ability to break these chains and to break these things that bind you, the things that are holding you down. And I want to do it. But you've got to surrender. We sat at that Cracker Barrel that day and we began to engage in conversation with these two rough-looking men and they began to tell us things of their past. We learned in a simple conversation, and we tried our best not to let our jaws drop in some of the conversation that was happening, but we learned that we were sitting across the uh, table from someone who had actually killed someone, someone who had uh, turned their backs on their friends, someone who was completely lost in trying to get by, someone who was broken. Both of them began to joke about owning lakefront property in hell. Stark. We sat there and I just began to pray silently, God give us the words to say. Because these men need living water and they're trying to cover it up with humor and they're trying to cover it up with the things around them but they're desperate for you Lord. They need you God. They need who you are. They need to know that they can be set free from their chains that bind them. You see, when the woman asked the question about who we worship or where we worship, 
Jesus was telling her, it's not about where, and it's not even about when, it's about who. It's about the who. It's about the heart of who you worship. It's about me, the Messiah, who's sitting right beside you. That conversation continued with these men, and they quickly began to tell us that they didn't know what it meant to worship the Lord. They didn't want to have anything to do with what it meant to worship the Lord, but they were clearly open. God began to open this conversation. It had gone much further than biscuits and gravy. It was real now. The woman, again, looks at Jesus in verse 25 and talking about the Messiah, tells him, I know that the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything. And Jesus declared, I'm the one who is speaking to you. And then look what happens to her in verse 28 if you're following along. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Jesus offered healing to this woman that day. It was no mistake, no happenstance that he had to go to Samaria that day. It was intentional that he needed to do some freedom ministry. He needed to free her from things that she couldn't get freed of otherwise. The quenching of the thirst comes when we experience the Holy Spirit in us. New every morning. Taking those wounds of the past, taking those wounds of brokenness and putting them at the foot of the cross where Christ enables us to move into the future. We're redeemed through faith and we serve a God who is extremely great and so great that when he redeems us, he makes us new by putting to death the old so that we are no longer shameful, no longer pressed down by the things that want to keep us from experiencing the freedom that came through his work on the cross. He wants to free you today. He overflows in us to the point that our deepest of wounds are healed and made new. We shared the love of Christ with those two men that day in Cracker Barrel because God just laid it out very simply. And neither one of them dropped to their knees in Cracker Barrel and surrendered their life to the Lord. But both of them left there saying, you've given us some things to think about. We want to know more about this. And we were a hundred miles from them. But both of us encouraged them Find somebody to talk to in a church. Go find a pastor. Go find somebody. Give us your email and we'll, we'll follow up with you. Give us your phone number. And they did. Although we never heard from them again. We planted a seed, I believe. But we never heard from them again. This woman went back to her town and she began to proclaim Jesus has done something. And we know what happened to her, though. We know what happened because if you skip down to verse 39 of that chapter... It says many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed, they, he stayed two days. And because of his words, many became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know this man really is the savior of the world. The bottom line of the story of John chapter 4 is that Jesus' saving grace walks into the messiness of our lives and takes what is a mess and he can turn it into a message. She became a message of the gospel. 
She became a message of redemption because she went back to her town and said, you won't believe it. You've got to experience it for yourself. And it says that some believed because of her testimony. But she pointed them to the one who would redeem them. It wasn't her redeeming. It was Christ redeeming. Her message pointed them to a savior that would break the chains and unbind them. Jesus wants to enter into our mess today. Whatever that mess might look like, I don't know in your life. But I truly believe that he wants to sit down right beside you and say, Hey, tell me a little bit about yourself because I already know it. But I want you to tell me so that we can begin to move past it. So that we can begin to experience redemption. You see, he doesn't want to erase the past. He wants to redeem the past. He wants to redeem the shame. He wants to redeem the things that hold us back. He wants to break the chains so that you and I can experience freedom. He offers the same to that Samaritan woman that day. Her chains were broken. They fell off. And she began to be used for his glory. The offer is the same to you and I today. He wants to break those chains. And he wants to use us for his glory. For his redeeming power, he wants to use us so that others might see not just because of what we say and what God has done, but because they actually meet the living God themselves. May it be so. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.